Now that same day, two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together with as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to the sentence to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe that all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up, returned at once to Jerusalem, and there they found the eleven, and those with them, assembled together saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized and by them when he broke the bread. What an honor and a privilege it is to be able to speak this morning. Um, uh, Pastor Philip, uh, with spring break, um, was able to spend some extra time with his family this week and as he shared with us, able to pray ahead and study ahead for the uh, series of sermons that he'll be bringing to us between now and Memorial Day. So Pastor Philip, thank you for this opportunity to stand behind uh, the podium here and to uh, speak and to teach and to proclaim God's Word. It is a joy for me to be able uh, to share with you this morning. If you are a visitor and you are with us for the first time, then please do not judge uh, our uh, worship service by this morning. Come back next week and hear our real pastor who can really proclaim and preach the Word of God and just blesses our heart with his preaching ministry. I want to talk to us today a little bit. Uh, I think it's very appropriate. Here we are one week removed from Easter. And you know many 
churches across our nation, um, they, they surge with attendance on Easter and then they surge with attendance on Christmas. But I will tell you that God's work and church and church ministry is still open for business between Easter and Christmas. And so today, I want to challenge myself mostly, but you'll be part of this as well. What direction are we going uh, today? What direction are we moving uh, in our lives today? Last week, we had just a wonderful weekend, as Pastor Philip said, with uh, Palm Sunday, we observed the Lord's Supper. We had extravaganza on Saturday before Easter, and then what a wonderful time of worship uh, and celebration we had with our risen Lord. So now here we are, one week after Easter, and we ask ourselves this question. What direction do we go now between Easter and Christmas? Um, people continue to have needs. We continue to have challenges and problems that we must face. We need to personally continue to abide and grow in our faith. You know, our mission statement here at Infinity Church is to advance the gospel of Christ, to abide in Christ, and then, uh, excuse me, applaud in God, abide in Christ, and advance the gospel. And it's that middle prong of our mission statement, abiding, that I want to speak to today. So, as Mary has read our text, if you will uh, turn in your Bibles there, uh, your devices, to Luke chapter number 24, and we're going to be focusing on verses 13 through 33 this morning. And I will be referring back to those verses, and I think you have a handout there. You can take some additional notes uh, with that. Now, I'll make a confession this morning to you. Uh, I am what they call a directionally challenged individual. Um, I do not have a real good sense of direction. Um, my wife knows this all too very well. Uh, she has been both amused and frustrated with me over the decades with this, uh, uh, this um, disorder that I have where it's hard for me to tell north from south, east from west, left from right. And um, so I, I do admit that I am directionally challenged. But one day Wanda and I were having one of those husband and wife conversations. You know how they go. Uh, th those really nice, uh, wholesome, encouraging, wonderful types of conversations where I had missed my turn and, um, and I was lost, basically. And men, as you well know, if your wife knows where you're going and you don't, that is awful. You need to just get out of the way and let them drive. It, you'll be much better off. But I was driving. I was lost. And Wanda was frustrated. And so finally I told Wanda, I said, Wanda, I've never been lost in my life. Never. Now, I have taken the long way around to get to my destination. And then when I started out, guys, we had maps. Okay, we had those state maps. I bet y'all, some of y'all never even seen a state map, you know, that folds out. And then I could never figure out how it folded back up, you know. And then we replaced those with a nice atlas. You could slide that atlas in your briefcase and open it up to any state. And then they came out with this thing called a tom-tom or a Garmin. How many of you remember those things? That tom-tom or Garmin? Okay. Well, man, I thought that was going to be the answer to my problem. But um, even with that tom-tom that I put into my vehicle and I could plug into where I was going, I would still 
take the wrong turn. I could never figure out that arrow, am I to turn now or am I to turn a little bit further up? And I would still get lost. And I finally got so frustrated with that computer woman because all she was ever saying was recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. And I was like, I'm done with that. I, you know, so uh, I'm directionally challenged. But there's one thing that I am abundantly clear on today, and that is the direction that we need to go individually and corporately together in our spiritual walk with the Lord. So let me give you the context of uh, what Mary read to us here uh, in these verses of Scripture. It comes from Luke, obviously. We know that Luke is the author of these verses of Scripture. We know that Luke was one of the twelve. He was one of the main disciples of Jesus Christ. So he spent uh, three, little over three years with Jesus here in this earthly ministry. We know that the Gospel of Luke was written about 62 A.D. Okay, so that is 62 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. If you need a stake in the ground with that, I'm 64. So 64 minus 2, my lifetime, is how long it is that Luke penned these words in his gospel from the actual events that were taking place. The story takes us to two travelers back on Resurrection Day, on Resurrection Sunday, the day, the third day, the day that Christ arose and left the tomb. It takes us back to that third day. A main character here Luke identifies as a gentleman by the name of Cleopas. Um, I'm glad I didn't name my son Cleopas, but that was his name identified by Luke. Cleopas. Now, we know that Cleopas is identified as a follower of Christ, okay? So he may not have been one of the twelve, but he was definitely a follower of Jesus Christ. In other words, he was a believer. He believed that Jesus Christ had come and that prophecy was being fulfilled and that, and that he was teaching this message of salvation, okay? He believed that he was the redeemer that had come to redeem Israel. Uh, we don't know this for a fact. Luke does not identify the second person in this story. But some theologians and some Bible commentaries uh, can, can assume, and we can assume, that this may be Cleopas' wife. She is not named by Luke, so we do not know for certain whether it is Cleopas' wife or whether it is just a friend, a brother, that is traveling with Cleopas. Uh, they have departed Jerusalem. They have been to Jerusalem for the Passover, a week-long celebration, and they have been in the midst of that swirl of activity and rumors and, uh, and that, that hypersensitivity within the city of Jerusalem when Jesus Christ was arrested, when he was tried by the religious leaders, handed over to the Roman officials, and crucified on the cross and then buried. They've been in Jerusalem, so they've, they've been right in the middle of this, and they're swept up by the arrest, the false trial, the crucifixion, and, and all of the uh, about Jesus Christ. So here they're walking on a well-worn well road. The road goes from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. And this town is seven miles. 
And you can look at it uh, on your Bible maps and you can clearly see it marked. It's a, it's a walk of about seven miles on a very well-worn path. Uh, this is where no doubt that uh, Cleopas and his uh, potential wife, where they possibly lived. And um, so it was northwest of the city. Now you can imagine they're traveling, they're walking, they're not walking briskly like uh, someone might walk when they're exercising and they're swinging their arms and power walking, but neither are they stopping either, but they're walking at a methodical pace. And this methodical pace would have taken them about three hours to walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. All right, so here we pick the story up in Luke chapter number 24, verse 13. They are deep into conversation. You see that? Verse number 13. They are talking with each other, verse number 14, about everything that had happened and that they had seen and witnessed during this time in Jerusalem for Passover. Now no doubt their topic of conversation was not how pretty the weather is, look at that animal up there, um, what are we going to have for supper tonight? No doubt it was none of that. It was all about what they had seen, heard, experienced, and it focused on this rabbi, this Jesus of Nazareth, this miracle worker, this, this man that they thought could possibly be the long-awaited Messiah. And so they're deep in conversation. They're not aware of what's going on around them, what's coming toward them, what's coming up behind them. And what does it say there in verse number 15? As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked alongside them. I can just imagine that Jesus just, just appears on that road to Emmaus and, and he just walks up right beside them. And uh, he's now walking with them. You can see just a, a rendering of what that might look like as Jesus begins to walk with them. And, uh, and so he asked them, he said, verse number 14, he says to them, he says, what are you talking about? What uh, are you discussing in verse number 17? And we see here, that as they walked along and talked, Jesus comes up to them. Now here we pick up the story, and I want to uh, share five principles with us today of going in the right direction. There's, this is a wonderful story here the, the week after Easter, and I think it's very appropriate uh, as, we, as we look forward to the rest of this season and as we look forward to the summer months that are coming to us. They did not even realize that Jesus had joined them on that Emmaus road. And he comes up to them. And notice the first thing that D Jesus always does is Christ initiates a relationship with us. So we see that Christ initiates a relationship with us. Notice they were not seeking the Christ. Notice that um, the Christ came up alongside them. So he saw them on that road to Emmaus and he desired to come to them and reveal himself and to encourage them and so he comes alongside them. 
He takes an interest in them. He is going the direction that they are going. He tarries with him. He patiently continues to answer their questions. He spends time with them. He invests in their life in that moment. And he helps them to discover who he really is. Now, he, Jesus says there in verse 17, he says to Cleopas and possibly his wife, he says, what is this conversation that you are having? And then I want you to notice this in verse number 19. Jesus says in, to them, he says a little deeper question. He says, what things? So here's a beautiful picture of Christ and how he comes to this couple and how he finds a way to connect with them and initiate uh, a conversation with them. Now today, in our busy world and in our busy life, we are, we are so guilty many times to let people be an interruption to us instead of an opportunity to share Christ and to uh, encourage people. Um, but notice that Jesus here very very tenderly asked them, what are they talking about? Well, we're talking about all the events that happened in Jerusalem just the past three days. And he says, well, what things are you talking about? And so Christ still comes to us today. He came to Cleopas and this traveler, possibly his wife, on the road to Emmaus. And Christ still comes to us today. He pursues us. Um, he comes alongside us, just as he did Cleopas. You see, they were needy, they were confused, they were discouraged, and they were uncertain. Now, does that describe us sometimes? It sure does. It describes me to a T. Needy, confused, discouraged, and uncertain sometimes. And Cleopas and his wife were all of these things. I want you to notice another very important point in this story. What direction were they going? Where were they going? Where were they going from and where were they going to? Well, let's, let's look at that for a moment. They were walking away from Jerusalem, putting more distance between them and Jerusalem, and they were walking closer to their home there in Emmaus. Notice that they were walking alone. Notice that they were walking alone. They had left their brothers and sisters in Christ back in Jerusalem and Christ is pursuing them all the way. So some seven miles Christ pursues this couple. Now it, uh, if you can imagine three hours roughly walking with Christ and, uh, and, and being encouraged by Him. So here we can see that Christ relentlessly pursues you and I today. Even if we are going in the wrong direction, even if we are going away from the church, away from our relationship with Christ, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, if we move away from them, Christ still pursues us. How does he do that? Well, he can do it sometimes as simply as we're going down the interstate and we see a billboard, and on that billboard is a Bible verse or a Bible truth. He can do it sometimes by a text that comes to us from a brother or sister in Christ 
that is encouraging us. He can do that uh, sometimes through an uh, impression that comes upon us um, as we go to sleep at night. It might be that the Spirit of Christ is coming upon us. And all of these ways, Christ is pursuing us. So I want you to know today, the direction we're going is important. And I'm not talking about physically like when I get lost and I get frustrated. Now many of you know that that I show up early, okay, to any event. I show up, I have a written rule that I live my life by. It's, called, it's one of my Perryisms, if you want to call it that. I show up a minimum of 10 minutes early than I'm supposed to be there. And many of you have thought all these many years, well, Dan's just punctual. He just, you know, he likes to be on time. He likes to have a schedule and maintain a schedule. No, that's not the truth. That extra 10 minutes is to allow for me when I take a wrong turn and I don't want to be late. So now we have confessed our sins one to another, but that is why I'm always 10 minutes early. That simply means that I, I didn't get lost. I found my way right where I was wanting to go. <laughs> but Christ pursues us no matter what direction we are going. I may, I may submit to you today, if you've come into our church building today to worship, if, if you are not walking toward Jesus, toward Jerusalem, toward growth and maturity in your faith, then I would say to you, Christ may be relentlessly pursuing you right now. And He may be coming alongside you, and He may be gently but methodically and relentlessly pursuing you to turn your direction and go toward Him instead of away from Him. Second thing here we learn in this story in verses 19 through 24, Christ is the master teacher. Notice in verses 19 to 24, Cleopas and his wife, they begin to describe to this man that they have yet to recognize. They do not know this is Jesus that is walking with them on the road to Emmaus. They begin to tell him about how their religious leaders handed this prophet over to Roman officials, how he died, how he was uh, crucified on the cross, how he was buried. No doubt their bitterness, uh, their doubt rises up and Jesus of Nazareth walking alongside them. He can sense this. He can understand it. They talked about how they had hoped that this may be, after hundreds of years, this might be the Redeemer that the prophets of old had talked about, and, and yet how He had been buried. And then all of a sudden, earlier that morning, women uh, with the disciples had gone to the tomb, and now they're reporting that that tomb is empty, and they cannot find this man, this Jesus of Nazareth. And so, Jesus as he always does, waited patiently. He let them verbalize all of this, and he just let them continue to talk. And then, notice in verse number 25, Jesus says, now it's his turn to speak, and Jesus does a wonderful job with Cleopas and his wife to teach them in the way of the Word. Jesus says to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter His glory? 
And then in verse 27, Luke writes, he says, And beginning with Moses and all through the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures. Wow, can you imagine that? Small group Bible study right there among three believers walking side by side on the road to Emmaus, walking from Jerusalem and despair and discouragement and bewilderment and befuddlement and uncertainty. And now they don't realize it, but they're walking toward confidence, joy, purpose, meaning in life. And so here we see this master teacher as he begins to share with them how, how this man that walked up beside them begins to, to teach them. And he used, no doubt, um, he asked them, do you not believe, do you not remember, do you not recall what the prophets of old have shared with you and have told you? Do you not remember the readings in the synagogues every Sabbath? How slow your heart is, how slow you are to respond to what I'm impressing upon you, to what I'm leading you to, to the conclusion that I am leading you. And so here we go, verse 27. They still have not recognized Jesus. He's still just a stranger that walked up beside them on the road of, uh, to Emmaus. And so no doubt Jesus shared many scripture verses with them. Uh, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, and probably Zechariah 12, uh, verse 10. And listen to the writings of the prophet Zechariah. And Jesus may have quoted one of these passages to Cleopas and his wife. But listen to what the prophet Zechariah had written hundreds of years ahead of Jesus' appearance and his crucifixion. He says, Zechariah, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, you see that? You see that foretelling, that foreshadowing of Christ on the cross? When they look upon me, whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one who mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps for a firstborn. For those of us that have children, you will never shed tears of the magnitude that we shed when we cry for our children. You understand exactly the type of mourning, the type of tears, the type of weeping that, was, that Jesus was reciting from the book of Zechariah. Except this time it isn't for an only child. It's not for a firstborn child. It's for the very Savior, the very Redeemer, Jesus Christ Himself who was pierced. What a powerful Bible study that must have been on that road to Emmaus. You know, we talk a lot about our small group Bible studies and we encourage those. You will never grow in your faith. You will never be able to turn your direction and go toward Jesus and toward Jerusalem until you begin to invest in this book right here. This book is our manual for life. It is our manual for how to have a full life. It is a manual for how, uh, how we are to treat our wives and our husbands and our children. It is a manual for how we are to treat one another. 
It is a manual for our family. It is a manual for how we are to work. It is a manual for how we are to handle our finances and our blessings. It is a manual for life. And until we are in it, in a regular basis, and understanding it, and investing ourselves in it, it won't come to us by osmosis. It will, it will not happen that way. It will not happen. We have to invest in it. So what a powerful time, small group Bible study. Here are just three people, but look at the power of what the master teacher had been able to share with them in this small group. So just a quick plug for small group Bible studies. We have them going on all through the week. Get plugged in. Here is the truth. We miss out on so much knowledge and wisdom when we do not study God's Word, when we do not listen to His teachings. Christ is the master teacher. He teaches us so much about who He is, about life, about family, relationships, challenges, circumstances. You know, it grieves the Lord's heart when we pursue answers to life, to our many problems and challenges other than through His Word. I'm going to tell you right now, when you're in those hotel rooms and you can't sleep anymore and you get up about 6 a.m. and you go down to the lobby and you get a cup of coffee and maybe a muffin and you go back to that hotel room and you get on that laptop and you start doing a little bit of work before you really go to work that day and you turn that TV on. I don't know if y'all ever watch TV from like 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. in the morning. There's so much junk on that TV from 6 a.m. There's infomercials. They're going to tell you how to get fit, how to get healthy, how to lose weight. They got this uh, thing called the shark. That's that vacuum cleaner. They got the shark. They're demonstrating to you how you can clean up things with a shark. And then you go on and there's some religious channels and there's some people talking on there. And I'm like, uh, hang on there just a second. Christ never promised us a life of ease and a life of riches and blessings and it's almost like that's kind of what I'm hearing from this. You see, it, 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 it grieves the Lord when we don't base everything in His Word and live our lives accordingly. Thirdly, Christ wants us to walk toward Him and not away from Him. Okay, notice verse number 13 there. Uh, they are headed away from Jerusalem, away from other believers, away from brothers and sisters in Christ, away, listen to this, from the last encounter they had with Jesus Christ. Don't ever move away from the last encounter you had with Jesus Christ. Never move from that point. Move actually closer to Jesus Christ. But here they are. They have moved directionally and they're moving spiritually away from the last encounter they had with Jesus Christ which was there in Jerusalem. Let's look at verse number 33 and move ahead in our story. You see here Jesus finally reveals himself to them and notice what I love what they did after Jesus reveals himself to Cleopas and his wife in their home over a meal what does verse number 33 say? They returned at once. There was an immediacy. There was a, 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 um, a response that was immediate as they realized they were 
with Christ and they immediately turned and they moved back toward Jerusalem, toward their faith, toward their brothers and sisters in Christ, and yes, toward fellowship. See, it's critically important for us today to respond immediately when Christ comes alongside us on the road we're walking um, today. Do not hesitate. Do not delay. Do not tarry. Arise and at once respond to Christ. You know, I don't know what God's speaking to your heart today. I can only speak for myself. But maybe, maybe we need to change our direction in our attitude. Maybe we need to change our direction in our conduct. Maybe we need to change our direction in our relationships. Maybe we need to change our direction with friends, habits, life, whatever. Know this, that Christ never intended us to walk away from Him. He never intended us to leave the fellowship of other brothers and sisters and walk alone and be out there to face all that is out there alone. No, He wants us to be close to Him. He wants us to be where we encountered Him the last time and grow from there. Number four, I want you to notice this too in our passage today. Christ wants us to focus on Him and not on our problems. He wants us to focus on Him and not our problems. We see in verse 18 through 24, we know all of that because we have the luxury of hindsight. We're looking back now at all the events that happened in Passover from the time that they welcomed Christ into the city of Jerusalem throwing palm branches in front of Him on Palm Sunday to the time that they cried out, crucify Him. We choose Him to be crucified over the criminal Barabbas. We know all of that. And Cleopas and his wife, they're recounting this. They're recalling the memory, the heartache, the pain, the uncertainty, the confusion that they had experienced. And we as humans, we, we're so uh, tempted to do that. We're so tempted to dwell on our past. We're so tempted to dwell on our problems and the challenges that we have that we miss the blessings that Christ has for us when we focus on Him. So Christ teaches them. He says, hey, do not dwell on all of that, but rather on me. I am He. I have spent these last three hours with you. I've revealed myself to you. It is all that the prophets have foretold. Christ says, focus on me. Don't focus on your baggage. Don't focus on your issues. Don't focus on your problems or your regrets or your accomplishments in life. Don't focus on yourself, but focus on the Lord. That is what Christ is teaching Cleopas and his wife. You see, all the while Cleopas and his wife were telling of their life, they were sharing their problems, uh, they did not realize that this was Jesus walking right beside them, that He had come right up beside them. We miss out on so many blessings, both large and small, seen and unseen, when we focus only on ourselves, when we focus only on our problems, when we focus only on our disappointments. Cleopas and his wife missed an opportunity. They could have had sweet fellowship with Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus, but yet they were focused on themselves and that's all that they could talk about when He first came up beside them. Let's develop a faith. Let's abide in Christ. 
Let's develop a stronger faith and a deeper understanding of Christ to realize all the blessings that He gives to us, both large and small. And lastly, and we're done, Christ wants us to have sweet fellowship with Him and other believers. Now this is where the tater salad comes in. This is where the coleslaw comes in. This is where the onion rings come in. This is where the good food comes in. In fellowship with one another, brothers and sisters. How sweet it is to be able to join together with brothers and sisters in Christ. Share a meal, share laughs, share burdens. But just there's power in the human touch and there's power to be with like-minded believers. Verse number 28 through 32, upon reaching Emmaus, their destination, which was no doubt their home, notice this, very, very key. Christ had walked with them and now it appears Christ is going to continue on walking while they go to their home. Now, notice verse number 28, what Cleopas uh, and his wife say in verse number 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with him. The meal was prepared. The bread was prepared. The olive oil was prepared. The water was drawn. And once the meal was prepared, then Jesus blessed the meal and He broke the bread and He gave it to them. And I want you to look. The culmination of our story this morning, verse number 31. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized Him. And then He disappeared from their sight. In that moment of breaking that bread, some of the scholars even think, you remember the tunics they wore and how they came down below their hands, you remember? And, and in the Middle Eastern days, you would wear multiple layers and you would take a layer off when you went inside. Some of the scholars believe that when Jesus there broke bread and handed bread to them, that tunic slid up. And for the first time, for the first time, they saw the nail-pierced hands and wrist of Jesus Christ. We don't know that, but that could very well be how they came to realize this is the man. This is the Messiah. This is the Jesus Christ that we just witnessed being crucified back in Jerusalem. And here He is in our home, in our table. Luke Luke writes, suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized Him. Just when we need Jesus the most, He reveals Himself to us. He encourages us to go on. Just what we need, when we need it most. So I want to share this last comment with you. Practice fellowship. Invest in the lives of other people. Mix it up. Fellowship with others. And maybe even go outside your comfort zone. Go outside your normal friend group and have fellowship. Have fellowship with believers and non-believers. Take an interest in people in your home. Have them to come to your home. Share a meal with them. Invest in their lives. Come alongside people that need the Lord 
in the journey that they're going on through life. Christian fellowship lifts us up and it encourages us. And then I'm going to give you one, one last comment. Notice that Christ blessed this simple meal. Notice it was just the three of them in probably a very small and modest home. Just some bread, a little olive oil, maybe, maybe some grapes or something. Notice that he just blessed this meal so simply. But this is the same man, folks, that blessed the five loaves and the two fishes of the little boy at the feeding of the 5,000. And we know what happened there, don't we? That little lunch that that little boy's mother had prepared that day, it was blessed abundantly. It went out and fed 5,000 men and all of their families. The same blessing Christ prayed on the feeding of the 5,000 is the same blessing that he prayed over the bread and the olive oil and the grapes in this little home. That teaches us to be thankful even in the small things for the blessings that we have. Would you close your Bibles and would you uh, listen to me as we prepare? The band can come on and uh, we'll begin to, to have a, a time of reflection and a time of fellowship. But um, I have one verse left that I wanted to share with you. And it's uh, Revelation. It's chapter 3. It's uh, verse number 20. And it says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and he with him, and he and eat with him, and he with me. What a beautiful picture that we have of Jesus as he uh, is inviting himself to come in and to have fellowship with us. Would you bow your heads? Uh, we're, I'm going to pray for us, and then we are going to uh, have a time of reflection. Um, I am going to be down here at the front. I'm going to be kneeling at the altar and praying. Pastor Philip will be over here. If you have something that God has impressed upon you, if you are going in one direction and this passage has challenged you and you need to turn and go toward Jerusalem and toward Christ as opposed to away from Him, then I would encourage you, just as Christ taught us in this lesson, do not tarry, but be immediate about that. Um, I'm also going to ask that if you have never experienced the personal salvation of Jesus Christ. I'm also going to ask you to consider that. You may be here and this may all sound very different, but there may be some curiosity that has stirred within you. Then I'm going to ask that uh, you come forward and you can share some of that curiosity with Pastor Philip. But Christ is pursuing us relentlessly. He's come alongside us on our road of life and now the question is, will we recognize Him? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the words of uh, uh, Luke. We thank You, Lord, for this powerful, powerful story that You have given to us. And we thank You, Lord, for the wonderful truths that come from this story. And Father, I thank You for the, just the, the transparency and the honesty of Cleopas and his wife. Because, Father, I identify so much with them and uh, the doubt and the discouragement they had. But then, Father, we rejoice when we see you come alongside us just when we need it and give us just what we need at the time that we need. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Speak to our hearts today.